You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Uh, we are continuing our study of 1 John, right? John's letter uh, to the church in Asia Minor. And if I could call this series anything, uh, I would call it Simple Truths. Uh, because John doesn't say very much in this book that most of us haven't heard before. A lot of these are just simple truths on repeat, and we always need reminded of these things. Um, and I honestly, I appreciate that God repeats himself for our sake. Right? If he says it once, it's worth listening to. Uh, but for our sake, God knows that we're not going to get it like the first 10 or 50 times uh, that we hear it. So he just keeps repeating the same things on blast throughout the whole Bible uh, because we often don't get it the first time. Uh, but this evening, we are starting chapter 3 of this letter. Uh, and we are going to look at the first half of verse 1. All right, so we're going to be in 3-1-A. Uh, and I'm terrified of this. I've never actually preached on a text this short in my life. Um, I think I was talking to Amber, and she's like, you can't do that. Like, you can't preach on half a verse. And I was like, oh, you watch what the Spirit of God can do, Amber. Um, <laughs> right? uh, but seriously, First uh, John 3-1-A, uh, this one sentence, very short sentence that John wrote, is probably my favorite part of this entire letter. Um, it's, it's one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible. Um, it's, it's, it's an incredibly weighty sentence. There is a lot packed into every single word almost of this whole sentence. It's beautiful. Uh, and this one sentence that we're going to look at is all about the love of the Father towards us. And this is something that we need reminded of so often uh, because we are really quick to forget of the love of the Father toward us. We don't stand in awe of the love of God towards us the way that we should. Uh, often we, we get told, hey, you know God loves you. You know that the Father loves you. And we go, yeah. And we just kind of move on to the next point. Uh, we don't stand in awe of this love enough. So this is a really important text for us to be in. Uh, so just a little bit of a heads up for you, though. Uh, this style of sermon is a little bit different than I'm used to. Um, normally I, I try to argue a point, right? I, I get the point out of the text. I argue the point. I maybe smack down some thoughts that you have that would be contrary to the text. Um, but this evening I'm not doing that. I'm not, I'm not arguing anything. I'm just going to declare truths to you about the love of God towards Christians, toward the believer. That's all that I'm doing. So I'm making, I'm, I'm making no argument. My goal this evening is to walk through this short sentence uh, and really stop at every major word and explain the significance that that word has in showing us the love of God towards us. So this sermon might be a little bit choppy uh, compared to other ones. Um, and the only real point of application that I have for you this evening, we're going to go over it first, is that I want you guys to see the love of the Father toward us. So again, just being honest, uh, this sermon is entirely geared toward believers. This sermon is towards Christians. If you're not a Christian, this sermon is not for you, and I'm really not talking to you. Uh, because the things that I'm going to be pointing out are only for those who have turned from their sin and are trusting in Christ for their salvation. And I say that because the topic, the love of God, we're not talking about the common grace of God this evening. We're going to be talking about the specific, saving, effective love of God that God has for His people. And I want us, believers, His people, to drink deeply from the well of that truth and find all kinds of comfort and joy in it. Uh, but if there are any unbelievers present with us, um, I know I don't know everyone here, um, I'm really glad you're here. So just because this sermon is not directly for you or towards you, it doesn't mean that we're not glad that, we're, that you're here. We are ec ecstatic that you're here with us this evening. But my hope for you in hearing this sermon is that, that 
that God, by the work of His Holy Spirit, would put a jealousy in your heart to know Him. That if you're here and you're not a Christian, that you would see the love that God has towards His people and He would give you a thirst to become one of those people. So that's my, that's my goal for the unbeliever. Um, and again, if you're not a Christian, all that we're going to talk about this evening is yours for the taking if you will turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ. Beautiful. Uh, Christianity is incredibly exclusive in the sense that only faith in Christ saves. There is no other Christ. There is only one gospel. But Christianity is so inclusive that no matter who you are, what race, what background, what former sins you've had, that all people are invited to come and be a part of this family with Christ as its head. Uh, but with that being said, we're going to be in 1 John 3, 1. And I'm going to read that and then we'll pray and we'll break this sentence down. We'll read it to you a few times. I really want you guys to commit this to memory. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Let's one more time. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this short sentence that is packed with beauty, packed with comfort, packed with joy, packed with your sovereignty, packed with your love for us that you've given to us to make us children of God. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for making us your people, a people who, who did not know you and weren't searching after you. You said, I will take those who don't know me and make them my people. And I thank you for doing that. Thank you for making enemies into children. Thank you for ransoming us from our sin from your wrath with the blood of your son. Thank you for adopting us into your family. Please let these truths just wash over us this evening and draw us closer into your love, closer to your heart. God, if there are any unbelievers in our midst, I pray that you would put a jealousy in them by your Holy Spirit that they would want to know you. Holy Spirit, please do a work of sovereign grace. If you don't do something here this evening, then all of this is for nothing. God, we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. Amen. All right. So let's start with that first word, right? And just for the record, I'm going to be repeating this sentence like a million times as we go through this. This is beautiful. All right. So see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Right. So see that first word. This is the command of the sentence. I think the King James Version actually puts it a little bit better. Uh, it says, behold. Right? So it kind of gives us the idea. You can kind of pass over that word see in the English Standard Version. But behold, that's a command. John is wanting us to see the love of God. Right? He's wanting us to witness it, bear witness, look at it. Right? So there's the cats out of the bag for you. That's the application for you this evening. So take that with you throughout the rest of this. Behold the love of God toward you, Christian. But if, let's look at this in context. It's, just, it's really pretty uh, uh, to, to see just how John comes to this. Right, so again, we just finished up a section last week, uh, 2, 18 through 29. John just finished a section in this letter warning us of false teachers and telling us to continue to abide in Christ, right, to keep trusting him, right? And then he tells us that we can know that we have been born of God, right, 229, the verse right before this one that we're in. He tells us that we can know that we've been born of God if we continue to abide in and live like Jesus, Right? So he just used that, that last word, uh, last phrase in verse 29 is born of him. Right? So to be born of him means that you're born again, that God has changed your heart to desire Christ, to desire him, to love him. 
Right? And if you're born again, you have now become one of God's children. You're now a child of God. And in this verse, so he's just got done saying, you can know that you are a child of God. You can know that you're born of him. And then John just pauses. That's really what this verse is. John actually breaks away from his argument to expound on this point. It's like he's been struck with awe of the truth that he just said, that you can know that you are a child of God, and he just stops. He wants to take a break to ponder on this for a minute. So if I could imagine this verse, it's like John saying, okay, everyone, shut up. and Be still for a minute and stop what you're doing. Sit down and behold the love of God for you. Again, he stops his entire argument. He's going to pick up on it a few verses after this. But he goes, hit the brakes, behold the love of God. He's just in awe of what he just wrote, that we should be children of God. Now, this command for us to behold, this command for us to see is really important for us. Because like I said in the introduction, too often we are not in utter astonishment of God's love for us. Are we not? Let's be honest. Most of us can read this sentence and quickly move on to the next. I know I did a lot. I've read this book a lot. You just hit this and stick and move and say, okay, that's great. It's a given for us almost that we are called children of God. Right? You know, again, someone can say, hey, did you know that God loves you and he has called you his own child? And we go, yeah. And? And that's sad. And honestly, if the fact that we are children of God is a given for you, then you've probably lost sight of the gospel. I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. I'm saying that you've lost sight of the truth. Furthermore, in our fast-paced culture, most of us have lost the art of pondering, right? Like old people like to sit out on the rocking chair and just look at the, like, I don't know what they do. They're looking at trees and stuff. Like, they just, they're just thinking. We've lost that, all right? We often don't sit and reflect on very many things, and that's a shame, especially with something like this. But again, John says in contrast to a fast-paced culture that we live in, he says, stop, behold the love of God towards you. Now the next few words tell us what to behold. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given. See what kind of love. The the New American Standard Bible, the NASB, uh, puts it this way. It says, see how great a love. See how great a love. See what kind of love. But what kind of love is it? Right, what makes it so great? And again, I'm sure we could go into a bunch of different ones, but I have two for you this evening. Two ways that, that, to show you what kind of love that God has towards us, uh, how great that it is, what makes it great. And the first one is this. This love is great in the fact that it makes us into the children of God. Right, it's right there in the sentence. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. So this love is great in that it makes us into the children of God. It transforms us. It's a transforming love. Now, I don't know how else to explain this to you other than I'm trying to get inside your own heads. All right? So go with me on this, Christians. I want you to think. Take a minute and go back in your mind and think on who you were before you knew Jesus. Seriously. Just think. Think of who you were before you knew Christ as your Savior, before you knew Him as your Lord, God, and King. Think about how far you were from God. The sins that you loved. 
Your love for pornography, your love for drunkenness, your love for uh, fornication, your love for money, your love for hatred, your love for, which sounds strange, right? But we love to hate people. Your love for greed, right? money, all this stuff. Right? Think on your specific sins. I don't know what everyone's specific sins was, but seriously, get these going in your mind. Think of the sins that you once loved, how far you were from God, how you rebelled against Him, how you opposed Him with everything that you did. Whether or not you realized that you were hostile to Him, you now know that you were. That every action you took was a selfish action. That you wanted nothing to do with Him. You wanted to do nothing but break His law. In your, in your complete depravity, consider how your heart was set on other things. How your heart was not set on Him. That it was bent away from Him. Consider your idolatry. I know some people in this room had a formal idolatry where you literally worshipped a false god. Think on your idolatry. And for the rest of us who grew up around Christianity, think about the idols in your heart, the things that you were chasing after with everything you had. Remember how you lived to satisfy your own desires. I'm sure you can think of many sins. Exactly who you were. And one last thing, remember how you were under the righteous wrath of God estranged from Him, alienated from Him, with no hope for salvation, headed for hell, estranged from Him, all because of your willful rebellion and glad sinning against Him. Go back in your mind. Headed for hell, estranged from God. Ephesians 2, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Because of the great love with which He loved us, we are no longer under His wrath. Because of the transforming power of God's love, you are now alive. You are no longer spiritually dead. You are no longer who you once were. Right? If anyone is in Christ, he is now a new creation. This is what the love of God can do. This is what the love of God has done for us. We are no longer under his wrath. Just laying this out there. Rhetorical question. Christians, you now love him, do you not? And you didn't. You actually love Christ now. You actually love the Godhead now. You actually love God. That's because you have been made into his child. The, the, the great love of God has made enemies into sons. Think about that. You could not change yourself into a child of God because you didn't want anything to do with Him. But what was impossible for us to do was actually done by the love of God. It transformed us. But this love is not only great in how it transforms, but it's also great in its quality. Right? You are his child. He is your father. Right? That quality, this intimacy, an intimate, perfect quality of love that we have from him. Now, again, I always like to make this distinction. All people, all human beings are, in a paternal sense, children of God. Right? In the sense that he is their creator. But again, all people are born under the wrath of God. Ephesians 2, we didn't get into that. Stephen's going to read it later. But all are born under His wrath as children of wrath. But you, Christian, are intimately His child. Right? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans that our hearts cry out, Abba, Father. 
Right? This is an intimacy with God. This is the quality of love we have with Him. Now, I know many of us, myself included, have not had good experiences with human fathers. I know I'm not the only one in here. And God has blessed me with a great stepfather in Mark. But biologically speaking, I did not have a good dad. And I know many of you have addict parents, alcoholic parents, parents that weren't around. So this may bring little comfort to hear that the quality of love that God has for you is that of a father. But know this, even if you had a good dad, know this. God the Father's love for you is perfect. Utterly perfect. It's supreme. It is un, you can't challenge it with another kind of love. He is not like human fathers, even if you had the best human father, because God the Father loves us perfectly. The Father always loves His children. He will not ever do us harm, this perfect quality of love. Now, He may discipline us. He may lay trials on us, but all things are done for our eternal good. This fatherly love of God that we have is utterly perfect. He hears us when we come to Him. He does not, hear me on this please, He does not abuse, He does not disown, He does not act selfishly, He does not run out on His children. He is faithful to us. He is the Father par excellence, right? He's the perfect Father. He holds us near to His heart and loves us. And it's astonishing that He would love sinners in this way. Those of us who rebel against Him on the daily, and He still says, and I will love you with a perfect fatherly love. You can still call me Father, sinner, because this sinner is my son. Beautiful. Moving on. So see what kind of love the Father has given. I love this. See what kind of love the Father has given. In this one word, Right, The word given, John reminds us of the grace of God towards us. The grace of God. We're going to sing about it later. That we are children of God by grace alone. All of grace. God has given this love to you and I. Right? So in this sentence, right, God is the active in giving. Right? See the love of God for us. Right? That He has given it to us. He is the active. He's the one acting. And we are the passive. We are the recipient in this sentence. We don't do anything in this sentence but receive. We are the passive. That's the grace of God. God does all of it. He does all of the loving in this text that we're in. This love is just lavished upon us that we should be called His children. In this one word, John reminds us that we have the love of God towards us, all of grace, completely of grace. We as sinners have no right in and of ourselves to come to God. Please don't forget this. You and I have no right in and of ourselves to come to God for anything. All we deserve is the unyielding wrath of God in hell. That's all that we deserve. And yet, in spite of our sin, by sheer grace, God has loved us Anyway, grace is getting what you do not deserve. That's what He has given to us. Did we deserve to become His children in the midst of our sin? No. As people trying to follow Him now, do you deserve moment by moment to be called His child? No. And yet, this love is given. Sheer grace. 
There is nothing that you and I could ever do to make God. He, he can't have his arm twisted. There's nothing that you and I could ever do to make God love us the way that he does. Please hear me on this because we all fall into this at some point because we're all Pharisees on the inside just a little bit or a lot. We just don't like to be honest about it. right? But no amount of obedience, no amount of prayer, no amount of devotion, no amount of sacrifice, sorrow, anything we do, nothing that we've done ever on your best day can, can make God love us the way that he does. This love is given. He gives it to us. We have merely received this love by faith in Christ. This is beautiful. The text does not say, see what kind of love our obedience has merited us. This text does not say, see what kind of love our piety and our holiness and our goodness and our godliness and our generosity and our coming to church and our being kind and our being a good person and obeying all of God's laws. See what that has merited us from God. Now the text says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. That He's given. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive Him, Christ, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Grace alone. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Emphasizing that, be called. Another fair way to translate that, be called, is what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be named children of God. Be called, be named. Here again, we see, and I love this, salvation, the love of God, is a completely, we we use the word monergistic, it is one way, it comes down from Him to us and we just receive it. So here again, in the same sentence, not only are we the recipients in being given the love of God, but here again, God is the active, right, the action of God. He is the one doing the calling here. He is the one doing the decreeing. He is the one who is naming us as his children. We just get named. We're just being called the children of God. We're just receiving what he has pronounced. So again, God has called and named us as his children. This is the divine decree. God the Father opened his holy mouth and declared, These ones are my children. These ones are my children. This is nothing other than sovereign election. That we should be called the children of God. God chose us as His children before He did anything else. Before He did anything, He chose you, Christian, to know Him. He chose you as His own child before you were born, before He created the world, before He decreed that the fall would happen, before He did anything, He chose you as His own Ephesians 1.4, even as He, the Father, chose us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. He chose you and I. Let that sink in, please. Especially the, the Calvinists in the crowd, let this sink in. Just check this off the list of things you already knew. God specifically chose you to be called His child. 
before you were born, not because of anything in you or anything that you would do in the future, purely out of love for you. He says, this one is mine. This is my child. I want him. Crystal is mine. Mark is mine. Nigel is mine. Deborah is mine. Chris is mine. He chose you. These people are my kids. I want them. I want him. I want her. They're mine. I'm declaring that they're mine. I'm choosing them. Now, if you're like me, and I know many of you are, sometimes we fall into this. Yeah, God chose me, and God saved me, but he doesn't like me. Is there anyone else? Am I the only one in here on that? He saved me. He chose me, but he does not like me. He puts up with me so that he will be glorified in saving me, but that's about it. We feel like God the Father does not like us. But the fact that God chose us, the fact that God chose you knowing everything that you would ever do and that he chose you anyway should tell us that God truly loves us and that he actually wants us to be around him. It's as if he says, these are my children forever. I want to be with my children for all time. Yes, they sin against me, but I want them by my side anyway. God chose us to be with him as his children, not because we're worth being around, but because he actually loves us and he actually wants us to be with him. is the next to last one. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. That we should be called His children. Specifically. With these words, John tells us that by the love of the Father, we are now a part of God's family. This is something that's fairly unique to Christianity. That we're a part of God's family. That He is our Father in a very special way. That that we are privileged to know God intimately. Again, we talked about that in the second point that we looked at this evening. But what I want to highlight here, with the children of God, that phrase, that we have been made a part of this family. That we did not receive this membership into this family by virtue of our birth. We are not naturally, we are not a part of this family. By birth, we were all born in Adam, right? We were born with original sin on us. By birth, we were separated from God because of sin. So how did God make us into his children? What occurred to bring us in to his family? Ephesians 1, 5 through 7. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We are children of God because we have been adopted into His family. Adoption through Christ. Now, we all know people who have adopted a child, right? or you know of people who have adopted a child. Right? It costs them something, right? 
It costs them something. We've all heard of, and I know a few people personally, um, who, who have spent tens of thousands of dollars to adopt a child. Right? Beyond that, they sacrifice money and time and space in their home and 18 years or so of their life to raising this child and much more. They sacrifice a lot. These people who adopt have made sacrifices in order to put a child into their family that had no natural relation to them. And why did they do this? Why do people adopt these children? This child that they're adopting has done nothing for them. Nothing. For them. They're willing to make these sacrifices because they simply love that child and they want it. They want that child because they're gracious. They want that child because they love that child. And this is a beautiful picture of what God the Father has done for us, but it came at a much higher price than you and I can fully fathom or ever probably eternally really appreciate. Our adoption came at the cost of His only Son. Our adoption came at the price of the blood of the Lord Jesus. You see, the children of God must be holy and blameless. God says that all throughout His Word. But that's the opposite of what you and I are by our birth. We're sinners. We're filthy. And we need to be made clean in order to enter the family of God. But God loved us so much that He gave His Son for us. So that you and I could be made perfectly clean in His eyes. That's why Christ died for us. In Christ's death and resurrection, bearing the full wrath of God, raising from the dead that we too might walk in newness of life. In doing that, Jesus Christ finalized our adoption. He ratified it. He brought us into the family by His work. And God did this for us when we had done nothing for Him. Simply because He loves us. Romans 5, 6-8 For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God for us. Such a high cost, and he adopted us anyway. So that he could be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in the Lord Jesus. And now we come to the final part of our text this evening. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. This is the climax of the sentence. I love how I love he just inserts that phrase. And so we are. This is what we are. This is this is reality for us. This is not wishful thinking. This is not something that happens at a future point in time for the Christian. This is the current reality for those of us who have repented of our sin and turned to Christ by faith. We are children of God. This is assurance that we can have right now. This is ours for the taking. Right? By the decree of Almighty God, according to His grace, adopted through the work of His Son, the love of the Father has effectively and actually transformed us into His children. You cannot challenge the decree or the work of God. It is sufficient. He decrees it and it is done. Christ on the cross says to Telestai, it is finished. 
It's over. We're in the family. We are His children. This is your identity, Christian. This is who you are. And this is unshakable. Again, God has decreed it. His holy mouth has spoken it, and it is so. He Himself has called you His child. No one can take this from you. The Word of God is unchangeable. So regardless of what is going on in your life, all hell may be breaking loose, regardless of what Satan may tell you, and he will often tell the children of God that we are not the children of God. He's called the accuser. But the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, who dares bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Furthermore, it is Christ who died. Regardless of what the devil tells you, and he will accuse you of your past and current sins and say, a child of God doesn't do this. And on some level, he's right. But nevertheless, God has decreed that Christ was sufficient to pay our sin debt. That Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us, so it doesn't matter what he may accuse us of. It may be true, and it often is. Yet nevertheless, the decree stands, these are my children. Regardless of what the world tells you. And many people will often tell biblical Christians that we don't know God. Because we stand true to what the word says. But the Bible says we are his children. No matter what you may tell yourself. And I think the only person who's a worse accuser than the devil is you. I mean, it's me. But again, who, who, would you dare bring a charge against yourself whenever God himself says, Who dares bring a charge against my people? You are a child of God. Regardless of how you feel, your depression, your anxiety, whatever it is, regardless of your emotions, this is the truth for those of us who trust in Christ. Please take this. Please hold this. Christian, you are the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. You are His child. You belong to Him. This truth is yours. And again, we'll end with this. The only point of application I have for you is what we began with. Behold the love of God for you. Marvel at it. Christian, rejoice in it. Bask in this. God has loved you since before you were born. God has loved you with an everlasting love. Rest in that. Reflect on that, ponder on that, be amazed by that, and on your life, never forget that, because that is our source of justification, is the love of God on display for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loves you. Do not forget that. To the unbeliever here with us, I want to plead with you, please turn to Christ. Please turn to Him. All of this is yours for the taking. If you will repent of your sins and embrace Christ by faith, you can be a child of God. There is hope for you in the Lord Jesus. But again, as we say all the time, apart from Him, you do indeed remain alienated from Him, outside of His family and under His wrath. But you can join this family through Christ. And Christian, I'll give you the last word. God loves you. It's the most amazing sentence that I can say. God loves you. The Father loves you. See His love for you. And love Him furiously in return. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for being faithful to us, for loving us perfectly, for giving us this love through no merit of our own, but all through the merits of your Son, for adopting us into your family, for choosing us before we were born, for bringing us from death to life by the work of your Holy Spirit. Triune God, thank you so much for everything that you do for us. Please give us eyes to see this. Let us behold your love for us. God, let your love for us be our identity. Let this be our greatest treasure. God, let this push us to be a holier people. Let this push us to be a people of gratitude. God, let this stoke a fire in us that just desires to praise you and declare your glory, declare your marvelous truth to everyone around us. We thank you so much for loving unworthy sinners the way you have. We praise you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.